to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Welcome and good morning. We're glad to have you here. So glad if you're joining us online. Glad if you're joining us here this morning. We're glad to be together and worship with you if I haven't met you. Uh, my name is Christian Lindbeck. I lead the team of pastors and staff around here. Um, we know it's a weird time to be getting plugged into community, so we hope that we are doing good work to help out with that. Uh, let us know how we're doing. I'd really like to recommend this newcomer's small group as a way to begin getting plugged in. Um, this week, we are in our third message of eight in this I Am series. And throughout eight weeks, we're taking a short opportunity to unpack the, really should underline this word, the extraordinary claims that Jesus makes about himself in the book of John. And each one of the claims is set within these amazing words of divine equality that Jesus gives himself. In Greek, the ego ami, the I am, which we've learned in previous lessons already, is just the equivalent of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the personal and eternal name of God. It's the reason behind us naming this series, I Am, is they're all set within this I Am context, which just makes this like dense, brawny theology that we are going to attempt to do in hilarious 25 minutes. Uh, scripture reminds us it's just no end to talking about Jesus. Um, each one of these eight lessons works as a standalone. So if you're just tuning in, that's great. But they also really build on one another. So you can just jump in whenever you're ready. I'd encourage you to go to hcbellingham.com, pick up these I am messages. The scripture does a better job of explaining who Jesus is uh, than anybody else could possibly do for you. Um, as we get into it today, I just want to remind you that each one of these claims, I already said, um, includes this divine name title, I am. So it's already set up with I am, but they also, and I want to remind you, um, draw on the deep shared history and themes of the people of Israel. So we're supposed to notice throughout this series that Jesus is coming as the long-awaited answer to many questions. So we've got the divine name title. He's pulling on these deeply held themes, and then he frequently uses his context to drive home the point of his identity even more. So you've got the, the divine I am name title. He pulls on deeply held themes and images, and uh, he does it in extraordinary context. So, uh, for example, when he's at the sacred pools, he reveals himself as living water. The festival of Passover is the remembering God's manna. He is the bread of life. Um, when we travel in Israel, this happens quite a bit. I think folks that have traveled with us will tell you that there's lots of moments when we retell the story in context. They're like, oh, it's because he was in Caesarea Philippi, or he was at the tabernacle. Or, you know, you get these moments where you tune in to what he was doing. Well, today's I Am um, shares all of these same attributes. 
the divine title name, uh, deeply shared history and themes, and some extra juicy context. So if you want to, you can begin making your way to John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. If you want to put your finger there, that's where we're going to land today. Uh, But what I want to do is first set the stage for what Jesus says in John 8, 12. And I want to set the stage for this revelation in the same way God the Father set the stage for Jesus. And to do that, I really got to go all the way back to the beginning. We're actually going to begin at the very start of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Now, I don't want you to worry. I'm not going to retell the whole story. Uh, But this is a necessary part of this developing theme and an understanding of Jesus's identity. Here's what Genesis 1, 1 says. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to underscore in the beginning because this phrase is going to become linguistically and theologically loaded. So reusing it again is to point back to this moment. Verse 2 tells us that at this point, the creation was formless and empty and dark. And so what's about to happen, This verses 1 and 2 have set up a preamble Uh, God created, things were dark. So everything that follows is really a description of how God is beginning to order his creation. So now we begin reading how he's going to order it. Let's read step one, which is verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light was the first and primal creation. You'll notice as you go on, this is light existing as energy. So this is before the sun and moon and stars are shining light. This is light as it exists as energy. I think many scientists would have fun. I know I'd have fun sitting with you as you unpack what this totally means. That in the beginning, God brought light into the vacuum of darkness and a division was made. A line between light and dark. He says it divides the night from the day. The light, in verse 4, he calls good. The darkness, he calls nothing. And this becomes a theme throughout Scripture. The ultimate triumph of light over darkness. Hold that. So I want to leap way ahead in history as we observe the people Uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, we even talked about this last week, as we observe their development, they are indelibly marked. Their understanding of who they are as a people and the relationship with God is shaped by their rescue from Egypt called the Exodus. And with God as their head and Moses as his representative, God leads his people out of bondage, out of the bondage of Egypt into the promised land. So this is like fundamental identity stuff about who God is and who they are. Let's read a little bit of that in Exodus uh, 40, 36 through 38. It's already said, a pretext that says, God Shekan dwells with them in his light. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. 
So the cloud of Yah, remember, Lord is Yahweh. The cloud of Yahweh was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. So God's embodied Shekinah, God's glory with them is his cover and his light. They moved when he moved. They waited when he stopped. The image of God as their daily guiding presence in the dark and uncertainty is forever blazoned in their and our corporate identity. God, Yahweh, God is our light and our true guide. Now, I wish I could pull this thread. Man, does this thread weave all throughout Scripture. I'm going to leap way ahead again. I'm going to leap 700 years to the great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is seeing a vision of uh, Israel's next delivery and their ultimate delivery. And when he sees these visions, he begins to see a Messiah Savior who would come as the embodied light of God to guide their path. God would come remembering their exodus as light. Let's read Isaiah 60, 19. He says, The sun, you think of the sun as being your light. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh, I am, will be your everlasting light, and your God will also be your shined glory. I will lead you home. When the prophet sees the Messiah, there's multiple passages which he speaks directly to him. One of my favorite, one that would be well known by the Jews is Isaiah 42, 6. Speaking directly to this Messiah, here is what is said about him. I will keep you, Messiah, and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So he'd already said, I'll be a light to you. I'll guide you home. And I'm going to be the light that draws the whole world into me. So this is very clear in the Jewish writing that the coming Messiah will be the incarnation of God's light in the world. He will draw people in and he will become the ultimate dividing point between light and life and the dark. Okay, now I'm going to jump ahead again. Finally, we're going to land if you put your finger in John chapter 8. So 700 years past Isaiah, 1,400 years past Moses and the Exodus, 2,000 years since the promise to Abraham that God would rescue all nations, and millennia since God said in the beginning and made light. Uh, It's all been waiting for the days of Jesus Messiah. So we see this theme of God embodied as light. Now, let's set some of the context. In our passage, John 7 begins by telling us that Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. John 8.20 tells us that in this passage we're about to read, he's in the court of women where they collected the offering. Um, Tabernacles is one of the three big Jewish feasts called Sukkot, or tents, where they're again remembering their exodus. Everybody had to attend this. And we already uh, have seen in this passage that on the last, or we will see, on the last and greatest day 
of the week-long celebration, Jesus had already made a scene uh, by showing up at the living water ceremony and identifying himself as the actual living water that God had sent into the world. Well, what happens at night in tabernacles, in particular on the last and greatest day, is that after dinner, as darkness would close in around the city, men and women in the court of women, still separate, but men and women would crowd into this most public spot called the court of women, and then the courtyards around their tents in their home. Um, Books written around the time of Jesus called the Mishnah, a commentary on the scriptures, tell us a lot about Sukkot. And here's one of the things it tells us. It says that on those evenings, particularly that last one, young kohim, these uh, young priests would climb up a 75-foot candelabra and pour nine liters of oil in each bowl and set this huge light fire high in the air above them. And it says light would literally radiate into the whole city. The temple would be full of light and shining out light, and every courtyard would be shining out light. And it becomes this huge party celebration of God's provision as they're guiding Light is embodiment as their light. And I wish I could read you some of the Mishnah context because it's really quite amusing how much they turned it into a party. In fact, there's one great passage that says, Rabbi Simon ben Gamaliel, who is the son of the famous Gamaliel, uh, who uh, both mentored Paul and was then kind to Jesus' disciples. It says that he, uh, these guys would stay up all night dancing in the courtyard. In fact, flip to the next slide. They would dance in the courtyard. There'd be this big party. And it was said that Simon ben Gamaliel could juggle eight torches at one time. <laughs> this is a sign of his piety. It's this huge celebration of God's light guiding them through the unknown and coming as the light of the world. Okay. We have theme and context. Jesus walks into that pregnant moment that is like a space loaded with millennia of theology. And here's what he says. I can't imagine how he gathered their attention in this moment, but he does gather their attention. And here's what he says to them in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Here again, we have the ego emi, this divine name title that means I am Yahweh. I am the light of the world, the phos Cosmo, the light of the world. In four words, Jesus essentially says, I'm everything you've been waiting for. I was before creation. I was at creation. I am the intent of creation. I am the truth. I am life. I am the Messiah. I am this, what you've been waiting for. And I think that our author, John, has just been eagerly awaiting dropping this moment in here. Uh, you see, this idea of light, Jesus as light, the Messiah as light, is one, it's one of his key themes that he's developing all throughout his book. And there's a great arc. I wish I could show you every piece of the arc, but let me just show you a couple of pieces of it. Let's begin in John. Listen to the numbers. John 1, 1 through 3. One through three, that should sound familiar. One, one through three. 
John 1, 1 through 3 says, in the beginning. Hmm, that, does that sound familiar to anybody? These linguistically, theologically loaded words. In the beginning was the word, who he's going to say is God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I think we have one more slide. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He's, he's just like, wait till Jesus says this is tabernacles, right? Um, if I move ahead again, I want to move to John three seventeen through 21. Most of us are familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. They often don't go beyond that. Let's read what John three seventeen through 21 says. For God did not send his son into the world just to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus is the inextinguishable light of life that draws an indelible line outside of the dark and it's the kind of truth that both draws the world and divides the world into two entirely different ways and truth of this magnitude it just can't be ignored you can't decide to not deal with it the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the light of the world, creates a, div a dividing point, just like at creation. Light between dark. And ignoring it won't make the most important decision that any human being can make. Where am I in relationship to the light? Well, it reaches this apex in John 8, which we saw, where Jesus says, I, me, I am the light. And then you can include it with all these other things that he says about himself. And then John 12, 36 shows you the other end of the ark, uh, which is, I am, I am this, I am your Lord, and thus I intend to develop this in you. John 12, 36, believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. It says, when he had finished speaking, he left them and moved on. But Jesus' intent is, I want you to reflect who I am. I am light that you might be light, that we might be a reflection of him, his eternal life, his love, his joy, his intentional living, his intimacy with the Father and the Son, his connection to creation, his easy relationship with all others. We are meant to become reflections of the one. In fact, this becomes the crux of the Jesus choice and Jesus following. What will you do with the light? Will you acknowledge and live by it or deny it and live outside the light? This is, is this going to be 
God's truth or my truth as I construct it? You see, once, once the light has shown, a line has been made. And God said, let there be light. And it divided the light from the dark. And Jesus came and said, I am the light. And it says, and it has divided. Some will step into the light and some will stay outside the light. The Apostle Paul picks up on all these themes. I said, I wish I could pull on this thread for you, but I'm just going to show you some passages as a reference, and they'll be in the notes section down there. But if you want to do some more study on this idea of the difference, what life and light looks like, these are some good passages to pick up on, because I want to highlight this one. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, he's already identified himself as the light. I think we sometimes fail to recognize what an extraordinary thing he says right here. I am the light. And then he says, you are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Our mission is to be people reflecting his light, to live in his way so that we draw others. And, and in that way, draw the line. Pools of light and hope. But it does draw a line. Just like some people will not appreciate that Jesus drew the line, some will not appreciate that his people reflect light. And light makes a division and the truth is there. Jesus is the fos cosmu, the light of the world, the one true light of life, the truth which draws and saves and divides the world. He is an unavoidable reality. And it means every human being has a choice and choices to make. I want to read you a portion of the Nicene Creed. It says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is the Son of God. And I want to leave you with a very important question about Jesus' revelation for himself and who we are. Where are you in relationship to the light? Maybe I can make that more focused. What or who is guiding your life? In the midst of this uncertain season, have you found yourself walking in the light or huddled in the dark? Have you leaned on him or leaned into your own way? And I, I just think I have to say, if you, if you don't know Jesus or aren't sure, here, I, here's what I want you to say. I am here to testify today. And I'm here to say... Um, no greater good has come of my life, my work, my family, my joy, my participation in creation, anything than acknowledging that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that he's the light of the world. This is not a call into some restriction. That's darkness. Darkness is a slavery. This is a call into freedom, into light, into life. I just don't want to only testify, I want to invite. And we want to extend an invitation. Uh, he is the light of life that is the truth about the world. Will you accept that invitation? He desires to recover you by revealing, healing, loving, and guiding you. The truth 
about Jesus has been written so that we may believe. I'm going to read one last passage from John today, John 20, 31. Can you grab that for me? Maybe not. <laughs> I'll skip. Oh, there we go. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. If you desire that life and all others, I'd invite you to join me in this prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are not uh, a religious fairy tale. We thank you that we don't have to write ourselves in some uh, religious twisting and setting ourselves up for you. You already know us entirely that we get to come before you just as we are. And all that you have asked of us is that you just, we receive the gift of stepping into the light, acknowledge who you are, and then you start doing the work of reshaping us. For those that don't know you, I just join with them in this simple prayer. Jesus, if you're out there and you want to save me, I want to step into your life, into light and life. And if that's you, just repeat those words with me. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I want to step into your light and into your life. I'm ready to go on this whole journey with you. Lord, we thank you that this is the truth about who you are. We're going to pack week after week these extraordinary statements about who you are. There's no other choice we'd make. There's nobody worth following. There's no other idea that is possibly worthwhile. Just you. The I am. The light of the world. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.